he not once tried to change who I am as a person or he did not try and change who I am as a singer. He wanted to take what I had and make it better. Mm. And I think that's when I started to figure out that like the difference between being in a choir and having vocal training Mm. is he didn't try and go, you know what? That's incorrect. And you should do it this way. He went, okay, we can work with that. And then moved on. Welcome to Sing Coach Conduct, the podcast for singers and singing teachers. Welcome to Sing Coach Conduct. I'm your host, Megan Ferrison. My guest, Natalie Schweikert, is a dance teacher, studio owner, competition coach, and most recently, a new mom to a beautiful baby girl named Eloise. In this episode, Natalie shares her philosophy of teaching based on her own experience with dance and voice. She's a ball of energy, and we had a great time together. Enjoy. Natalie, I'm so glad that you're here um, doing the podcast. You're going to share your your personal story about uh, singing and um, and also about dancing. First off, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, where did you grow up and what kind of got you into the artistic scene? Uh, so I was born and raised in Midland. I was born outside of Midland, but I was raised in Midland. Um, my family is all sports all the time. So uh, when I, you know, came out of my mom in a tutu, they were really confused. (laughs) Um, My grandma has always been into like theater and dance and she danced when she was young and she showed me like Shirley Temple's original like VHS set Mm -hmm. and then I was hooked. Um, So I started doing, you know, dance and ballet and stuff. And then right around, I think it was seventh or eighth grade, I joined Peanut Gallery with the Levies in Midland. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, theater is really fun. And then I quit soccer completely. My dad was really happy about that. Um, (laughs) And then I just did dance and theater for the rest of middle school and high school and then after high school. And then I just kind of kept going and I don't know how to get it to stop. (laughs) That's awesome. And and so, and you're a teacher now. I am a teacher, studio owner, competition team coach. That's great. So at what point did you go from, I like doing this to, I want to teach this? When I was in high school, there was a program at my dance studio that when you had a certain amount of hours that you were in the studio, you qualified to be a student teacher. So I was a class assistant for a lot of high school for a bunch of different little kid classes. Um, And then after that, you know, people were like, oh, you know, my kid really likes you. And I said, thank you. Um, (laughs) And then after uh, I started in college, I kind of got this idea of doing dance productions, kind of like the Nutcracker, but in different styles of dance. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would cast those shows. And then a lot of those people wanted classes from me. And so I started private lessons. And then I met my business partner, Melissa, and she was also a really good teacher. And then we teamed up and opened a studio like six months later. It was a very fast process. Wow. I was going to say, and what's the name of your dance studio? Elite Arts Company. 
what kind of stuff do you do at Elite Arts? Is there um, are there classes for all ages? What what? Tell me all about your studio. So we start at age three. We will start at two and a half if they are fully potty trained. Mm-hmm. If they are not, we start at three. And our normal recreational classes go until age eighteen. And then once a month on Saturdays, we have adult cardio jazz. We have adult tap. We also have adult gymnastics, which has been kind of a party. Um, and then we. We also have deep stretch, which is kind of like a cardio dance version of yoga Mm. for adults. So we do those one Saturday a month. Wow. I I know we've kind of talked about like I I should probably think about doing something. It's in the area. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I... I'm like the least flexible person I know. No, but you should totally take a tap class and bring Dan and I'll do it too. Okay. And Melissa says that you can like... She recommends that you know drink beforehand so it's extra fun it's a party (laughs) that's okay so it's so fun like with the adult classes like we like to like really have fun with it we play a lot of 80s 90s music it's so fun okay that I'm there you said 80s and 90s music which happened to be the two best decades right it's a quarter disaster three quarters fun oh my gosh that's awesome (laughs) in tap shoes (laughs) so what makes your studio um different from other studios A lot of that comes, and that's really difficult because all the studios in Midland have their own thing that they're very, very good at. Mm -hmm. So everybody has their specialty. So studios are on kind of a range between recreational studios and competition professional studios. So, you know, the recreational studios, you are there because you love to dance. You love the expression of dance. You want an activity that involves dance. And then on the other side of that line, you have, you are there to become a professional. You are there to keep your head down, learn how to dance, and then go out into the professional world. Mm. We're kind of in the middle Mm -hmm. where we have that, you know, stricter curriculum, but we have music and game-based education. So we kind of mix in the fun and we have two tracks. So some kids go go to our competition team and they get that like hard training once they're on the competition team. And then we have our recreational track, which they are there to have fun and learn how to dance. And we are there to instruct them. And a lot of that, a lot of what really sets us apart from other studios who kind of do the same thing is we are, (laughs) we are non-denominational is what I was going to say, but that doesn't make sense. (laughs) We, we, we're non-discriminatory based on your body type. So there is a huge stigma in the dance world about what a dancer looks like. And I absolutely hate that. I think it's ridiculous. You should be judged solely off of how much time you put in um, and your dedication and your passion for what you do and not based off of a lot of it is genetic. Like if you are genetically dispositioned to be curvy, you can't do anything about that. And if you are Mm. the most talented ballerina there is, you are not going to get cast in NYC ballet because you're curvy. And I think that's ridiculous. Um, is that a historical thing? Like, where does that come from? That idea of you have to be shaped a certain way to be a dancer? I don't know exactly. My theory, and nobody really knows, my theory is back in, you know, Shakespearean times when ballet really started getting there, um, it was only men who were allowed on the stage. And men are slender. They, you know, straight line. They have straight lines. Yep. They have, you know, a flat chest. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where it started is you wanted to be this slender thing. And then when it's when women started joining in, ballet is this very light and delicate 
art form Mm -hmm. and it's very very difficult to do and you have to make it look effortless and so I think when people see somebody has a little extra bounce on their body I think in their mind that gets rid of that clean line and the look of it being delicate and effortless Mm. um which is untrue you can have somebody who is stick thin and still do a jump and come down like an elephant like it doesn't that it has nothing to do with your body type it all has to do with your technique and how much time you put into technique classes but I really think that the stigma behind it started when people had this idea that ballet needed to be completely uniform and needed to be you know a conveyor belt and you're just churning out the same dancer over and over and over again Hmm. and that's really toxic for a lot of like young girls to see when they're being brought up in an environment where everyone around you has this idea of what you're supposed to look like and you look in the mirror at dance class and you're not that. Mm. And so at my studio, we really like to say it, it doesn't matter. The mirror is there to help you not to criticize you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I want you to look at your lines, but I don't want you to look at your body type and what a dancer is supposed to look like. Hmm. So we always have kids and I can always see it now, now that I've been doing this a while, I can see the look on their faces Hmm. when they're analyzing their body in the mirror Hmm. and I just stand in front of them. I'm like, stop doing what you're doing. Cause I used to do the same thing when I was your age and it is a toxic mindset. Hmm. Stop doing it. Um, Your talent here at this studio will be based solely on showing up on time, having your hair in a bun and working hard. That is, that is what we are judging you on. It doesn't matter if you are stick thin or as curvy as me. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And this is um, a bigger issue in the dance industry. It is so, it is so toxic and it doesn't get any better with their ages either. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this issue specifically with, um, with children, Right. In competition dance specifically. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me about that. This is really it's a lot of this is personal opinions um, and a lot of it is fact. So it kind of like morphs together into this weird cluster of anger that I have in my soul. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So going to dance competitions you most dance competitions start you around age three or four so like the second you can stand on your own is when you can start dance competitions at my studio we start them at age six because that's leading up to that is kind of very influential in their lives to see if they even like dancing mm-hmm. let alone love it enough to compete so we start at age six for the competition for the competition got it yep our competition team you have to be at least six with a couple exceptions but <laughs> we I can't, oh, it makes me so mad. Okay, so when you go to a dance competition, there are different categories of age. So the youngest age is three to five, and then it goes six to eight. Within that category, and then the next one, up until age 12, there is a booming amount of kids who are over-sexualized in their routines to the point where the audience is uncomfortable. And that's kind of the line where you go, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Is if everyone around you is kind of, they have that look of confusion and almost horror on their faces mm-hmm. to seeing six-year-olds in crop tops and booty shorts grinding on stage. Mm-hmm. Like that's, there's a, there's a line and every single dance competition and every single studio at some point treads that line or crosses it. Mm-hmm. And this is coming down to like, the over-sexualization of children. They are children. You you should not be putting your child 
or someone else's child to any studio owners who have a competition team. You are putting someone else's child at risk by putting them on a stage in something scandalous or inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Now, where did, where's your studio draw the line there? What What is considered... You know, yeah. So we, you know, we have six year olds and up. We have that six to 10, 11 year old age range. And we always, when we're looking at costumes, we go, okay, could this be a bathing suit? If the answer is yes, it is too skimpy. Hmm. And there has been, there was one costume last year where it was, you know, a leotard and it had an open back. Mm-hmm. And so we put it on her. We always talk with the parents about costumes. We put it on her and we're like, she is showing way too much skin. She, she looks, it looks inappropriate. So we put her in black tights mm-hmm. to kind of give her a little bit more cover up. And she looked great. She looked professional. You know, she's 10. So, you know, she is Oh, she was 11. She's getting a little bit older and Mm -hmm. she wants to have, you know, the sassy jazz costume. But if we look at it and go, okay, if I had a child, would I be comfortable with her not even going out in public in this, but dancing on a stage Mm -hmm. on a nationally broadcasted competition? Mm -hmm. The answer is no, we're not going to put them in it. And then right around age... Can I stop you for a second? Because I have a question. Yes. So you talked about the bathing suit thing. Yes. Like if we put them in a bathing suit, you know, it's too, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's too scandalous. And so my first, the first thought that came to my my mind was, well, is a bathing suit too scandalous? So then I, I was thinking like, oh, no, no, no. It's, it's not. It's because they're also using their body in this particular way. So like, no, it's not wrong for a child to wear a bathing suit. No. It's that. You're on a stage. You're on a stage and it's what you're doing with your body as you're wearing a particular type of thing. Right. So if you are going to the beach with your child and they're in a bathing suit, do you want them doing flips and tricks and, you know, holding their leg up in the air and doing split leaps and doing the splits and all that? You're not going to want them doing that in a bathing suit because that's Mm -hmm. a wardrobe malfunction waiting to happen. Okay. Yep. That makes sense to me now. Thank thank you for guiding me through this. As a (laughs) non-dancer, I I appreciate that. That makes all the sense in the world. Right. It's not exactly what they're wearing it's what they're doing while they're wearing it got it and that also goes back to you know it's a problem outside of just costumes it's also dance teachers who are choreographing mature routines for young kids Mm -hmm. um well thank you for clarifying that and and i didn't mean to interrupt you because then you were saying at age eight or something where were you at in your story so when they get to about 12 13 ish is when they transition from doing a lot of the jazz and musical theater cutesy routines into more mature lyrical and contemporary routines Mm -hmm. and with routines like that you really want to show off not only your muscle definition that you have but you want to show off your lines and covering costumes can hinder that so we always you know sit down with parents and dancers and say okay we would like to transition you into a two-piece costume what is your comfort level with that Mm -hmm. and between that age 12 to 14 it's a quote-unquote two-piece costume um it's you know a skirt on the bottom half it's a longer skirt it's a little bit sheer and then the top is like a crop top t-shirt so they're still covered but it allows them to dance a little bit more maturely Mm -hmm. I don't know where the mindset is but there's a switch that the second you're in a two-piece costume you dance more maturely. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to start getting our 13-year-olds to do because eventually they'll be dancing in the teen division. Mm-hmm. And the teen division, you're going up against 15-year-olds who are dancing like 15-year-olds. Yeah. So we want to start kind of guiding them in the direction of 
you know, preparing them for the professional dance world once they graduate. Mm -hmm. They are going to be doing the beautiful lyrical, the strong contemporary. They're not going to be in pigtails doing cutesy jazz squares forever. Hmm. So that's kind of the transitional point. And we always, you know, talk to parents and say, this is what we're thinking. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Because we have a couple of parents who are like, absolutely not. And so we find them costumes that are covering that will still accentuate the lines that they have. And then some parents are like, I don't care what you put my child in. I just want her to win. And I <laughs> say, okay, thank you. <laughs> we'll <Yeah>. do. <laughs> and even then, though, there's always that um, you're always conscious of, you know, you're still doing what you feel comfortable with first. Yep. Also checking with the parents, whereas maybe sometimes that isn't even a, a no. concern. We are the first line of defense. As dance teachers and instructors, g instructors going to dance competitions, you are taking this group of girls and you are their advocates. You are mm -hmm. there to make them look their best and feel their best. So if you are putting them in very skimpy costumes at the age of six and you are having them twerking on stage, I have seen it. Mm -hmm. Six-year-olds in bikinis twerking on stage. That is not okay. Mm -hmm. There are... And everyone knows in today's world and past generations, there are predators everywhere. Everywhere. Mm -hmm. It could be someone's brother. It could be someone's dad. It could be the weird guy that lives next door. Mm -hmm. It can be men. It can be women. It can be any age. They are everywhere. And so you are perpetuating the idea that that's okay by putting them on stage to show off lines that six-year-olds don't have yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't need to show off a six-year-old's abs. <laughs> They're six. <laughs> they don't. I've seen parents paint abs on their children. Like they don't Are have. Are you serious? It. Yes. Wow, that is that is yes. With older dancers, we do contour their muscles a little bit just so they don't look so pasty because we are from Michigan. All my dancers are reflective. So we do <laughs> we do contour them a little bit or we have that lotion that like tans them yeah. a tiny, teeny tiny bit. But I have seen six-year-olds getting spray tans. I have seen them getting abs painted on them. You don't need that, mm -hmm. especially if they have quality dance training. You shouldn't need to do that. Their dancing should speak for itself. Mm -hmm. And the entire... You know, a lot of it comes generationally from the judges mm -hmm. and, you know, being brought up in a world that if you're wearing a covering costume, it's hiding imperfections in your technique. Mm. But there are so many ways to have a costume help you instead of hinder you, even though it is modest and age appropriate. Mm. Well, and I, I, you know, I'm glad you bring up the, the point about, um, you know, there being predators and, and protecting people from, you know, protecting children from other people. Mm -hmm. But you, you also brought up another point, and that is uh, how they see themselves. Yes. Right. And um, because that uh, it, it's a it's a they're both important. Right. Mm -hmm. That the protecting from the from the outside on um, things that that can harm them. Um, but then also you are promoting healthy awareness of the body and yes. how they look at themselves. So right. they are proud of what they what their body is capable of mm -hmm. rather than what their body looks like and how they can gain attention with it. Right. Um, and that is a very, very dangerous path. That is in the dance world. Eating disorders are a huge, huge problem. Mm -hmm. And that starts putting them in that direction that, okay, I'm in this two-piece costume and so is my competitor over there, but we look very different. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Dance teachers, if they know their job, they can costume any body type 
and make them look as flattering as possible. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you are just putting every child in the same little skirt, crop top, and pigtails, that's not flattering their body with group dances. You want to pick a costume that flatters everyone. So I have my mini competition team this year. They are six to 10. Mm -hmm. They are in sparkly pajamas because they're having a slumber party in their number because it's (laughs) age appropriate. (laughs) Um, So they have the pigtails, the bows, they have these cute little pink jammies and they're having a slumber party for their dance. And I guarantee they're going to be up against another group who is dancing to the song cover girl in a bikini Mm. bumping and grinding on stage Mm. so a lot of the times I just like hope and pray that the judges see quality over the sparkle and pizzazz Mm. that a lot of other studios bring with the flashy and the showy routines instead of the technically trained and age-appropriate routines and that doesn't always happen You said something, uh, and it really struck me, and you said, we are the first line of defense. Yes. And as teachers, in in any subject, right, if teachers are the experts, whether you're teaching, you know, anything, right, we're teaching dance, we're Mm -hmm. teaching voice, um, and and this is a good point to transition, right, is, is that... As the expert, you have to first protect, right? You have to first um, do no harm, which is, I think, going back to doctors, right? That's, yes. That's the, that mm-hmm. they're kind of motto, for, motto for, right? First do no harm, and then and then you handle these other things, right? So I want to talk about um, your your vocal journey, <laughs> uh, because you, you have had a lot of um, experiences that I think kind of mirror themselves, but in different ways between your dance life mm-hmm. and your and your vocal life you know you've seen a lot of stuff and um so please share what that has been like for you um learning to sing and being a singer uh what has that education been like for you a lot of so a lot of where my you know vocal story I guess is is a lot of it's mostly insecurity that is like the top theme of my entire you know training background is always insecurity and you know, lack of confidence in whatever my abilities are. And I'm still not at the point where I can be like, oh yeah, I sing. No, I'm still like, oh yeah, I try. Like Mm -hmm. there's that, there's that mental block. And a lot of people assume that it comes from musical theater because that's such a competitive area, especially in Midland. And there's more no's than yeses Mm -hmm. in that. And it's really not Um, The musical theater community is very supportive. And even if, you know, you completely mess up an audition like I did in front of Jim Holmeyer, which is still the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. um, I forgot the words to the national anthem in front of this man. And he was always very much take a breath. Here's what you can work on. Try it again. Every music director that I've ever worked with has always been like super, super supportive Um, And always wants to make you better. Where the other side of that is, is when you get into an environment where people lead on that they have more experience and more qualifications to instruct you than they actually do. So you take their word as gospel, but then come to find out later that they don't have as much background as you thought they did. And then you start to question whether or not what they told you was correct. 
Um, and that's where a lot of my insecurity comes from is the fact that I was told for so many years, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. And now I'm looking back and the people who told me all of those things aren't really qualified to tell me those things. Hmm. And so now I'm having a musical existential crisis going, have I had any training at all my entire life or has it all been, you know, an act? Has it all been false? And come to find out that a lot of the things that I was, that they told me I was doing wrong are actually correct. I just needed to develop it to make it more correct than it already is and make it sound better. Instead, they would just tell me, you know what? No, that's wrong. You are way too nasally. You sound cliche musical theater. That's what I would always hear. Hmm. You sound, you sound like cliche musical theater. You sound musical theater. And I was in a choir and they said, you sound like a musical theater student. You sound like a musical theater actress. You can't sound like that. This is a choir. And then they would have me like scrout a number, a song that I had no business singing. Mm-hmm. And that was somehow healthier than, you know, singing in my mix now that I know that that's what it's called. <laughs> okay. You said scrout, which I've never. You've never, never heard scrout? No. Yeah, it's a screaming belt. Oh my gosh. Well, scrout. and it makes sense when you say it. That's like an industry term. Is it? It is. Oh my gosh. It is. I know nothing. Now I now I'm <laughs> questioning myself. Now I'm questioning. But but it makes sense, you mm-hmm. know. And um so I and thank you for starting to get into the details of this too, because when you say I was told this, this and this, or you're wrong, I wanted I want to know what do you mean, you know, like yeah. what like talk to us more about that because you were told and it was kind of looks like just a label was smacked on it right like someone would hear you sing with a you know we'll say nasally tone or whatever Mm -hmm. and they'd say that's very musical theater right because musical theater tends to be very bright um and for forward and and very focused on on lyrics and things like that so then tell me what was the switch where you realized that what what was really going on there so Being in this specific choir, I was there for five or six years. Um, You know, I heard all the time, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this, over and over and over, stopping so nasally. And then I finally started getting one-on-one vocal training with a couple different people. And instead of saying, you are too nasally, stop doing it, they would say, okay, I need you to round out your sound. Hmm. I need you to make your sound longer. They would use different words and terminology and they would make it more about a physical change than almost degrading my mentality. Yeah. The difference that you mentioned, right, is one is stop doing that. Stop right. doing it. How, how do I me, stop? It kind of reminds me of that scene in... Um, how to train your dragon, right? How to how to train your pet dragon or whatever. How to train your dragon. How to train your dragon, right? And and he's like, can you just stop this? And he's like, you just pointed at all of me. It's that feeling yes. of like, you just keep telling me I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And you know, when I joined, I was 14, 13 mm. or 14. And that's a very pivotal year. And so to have a grown adult telling me you are doing this wrong yeah. and not pinpointing how to fix it, yeah. that felt like they were telling me as a person, you shouldn't be here. And that is really hard for a young girl to hear over and over. And I was very blessed to have solos within this choir. A lot of girls didn't. So I was very fortunate that they would give them to me, but they would always be songs that I would never pick for myself. Mm-hmm. Come to find out later, they would give them to me. Why because- wouldn't you pick them? I don't mean to interrupt you, <laughs> but I want, 
but I know that like if a voice teacher is listening to this, mm-hmm. they're going to say, well, it doesn't matter that you wouldn't pick it for yourself because that's what we're right. Doing. So why was it wrong for you? So specific, the song that I'm thinking about specifically was a very um, chesty gospel track. It was very, you know, praise be, hallelujah, lots of riffs. It was all in my chest and it was uncomfortable to sing. Like it wasn't painful but it was for a 14 year old that's a lot of push that mm-hmm. i didn't have yet i hadn't developed that yet mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i didn't know how to do runs i'm 14 from midland michigan i don't know how to do gospel runs i don't um i was 15 but so it sounds like it was serving wanting to serve the music rather than serving the singer exactly and come to find out later on they would give me certain songs because of my theater background. I could act them out and quote unquote, pull them off Hmm. from a visual standpoint because I would get into it because that's the only way that I could keep myself from getting so embarrassed that I was butchering these songs because they were wrong for my vocal part. Mm -hmm. I was a soprano one singing like mezzo alto songs and I, sh- I had no business doing that. And there were other altos who would have done so well vocally with that music. Mm-hmm. But because they were shy in person, they wouldn't give it to them because it wouldn't be as entertaining. Mm. I really, g- looking back, I wish I would have gotten, even though they are vocally more difficult for me, I wanted to do the slower pieces. The ones with more, you know, like internal feeling. Because this was a faith-based choir. Um, I wanted the ones that like meant something to me personally, Mm -hmm. but because I could put on a show, they always gave me the belty ones and we would go for 10 days straight and my voice would be gone by the end of the week. Mm. I would walk around with a whiteboard so I wouldn't talk during the day to Mm -hmm. people just so I could put on a show that evening. And that's a big indication that something is wrong that you, when you are vocally fatigued, I would, within that amount of time I would be yeah. exhausted my throat were hurt, would hurt but I will say that I slept better than anyone in that choir every night <laughs> <laughs> well because you were just so exhausted yep every single I would be the first one to sleep every night and those were long tours we would go from you know 7 a.m to 10 p.m 10 days in a row and hmm. everybody would be like oh my gosh you fall asleep so fast and I would say yeah <laughs> yeah I, yeah I do because I am so physically and emotionally drained because all I would hear all the time is stop being so nasally. Stop using that part of your singing voice. Stop doing this instead of, and I would just sit there and I'd be like, what do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. I am 14. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And being in that choir was also the first faith-based activity I ever had. I grew up not in a church. I grew up with an atheist father. Mm. So this was, and people would ask me like biblical theory questions and I would sit there and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. No one taught you anything. Mm. I was taught a lot about, I, I grew a lot in that choir. I got a lot of um, maturity from that choir. I gained a lot of my leadership skills from that choir. Mm-hmm. They really teach you how to act like, um, like a mini adult. We were all mini adults. We all had a job to do. We all like, we functioned like a well-oiled machine and I made some of the best friends in my life. But when it comes down to the actual, it's a choir mm-hmm. first. And it didn't, now that I've been a part of some really great choirs, I know that the choir part is not what made us so strong and so popular. 
it was the community aspect. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that we are a group of kids who travel the state singing and, you know, worshiping at churches. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what made us so great. It was not the vocal training that you got out of it. It's the friendships that I got a husband out of it. (laughs) Like we, it's the matchmaking church. There are so many marriages who have come out of this choir. It's a little Mm -hmm. crazy. So all those pieces were in place. I mean, like anything, well, I'm not going to say like anything because there, I think there are, are things that people can point to and say this was, I can't think of a thing that really felt positive about this, but for you, it's very much a mix, right? I mean, you had the leadership and responsibility and all these things, but the piece that was missing was the, and, and should have been there, was the the vocal tr- <laughs> Um, my, my cat, Zorro, right now, he he loves when people do interviews and he climbs into their lap and he is being very friendly right now. Hi, friend. <laughs> okay. so, um, I'm so allergic to cats. You are? Oh, no. I love them, though. Do I just want to snuggle them. Okay, well, just move him off of you if it's, if it's a problem. I'm just going to okay. sound a little bit. You aren't going to go into some weird... Oh, no. Like, oh, okay, good. Nope. I, just, I have my phone right here if we need to call. No. Call I'm allergic to avocados, but I have Benadryl in my purse. No. Okay, so great. We're, go- you're, we're golden. You're, you're prepared. As long as you don't throw an avocado at me, we are fine. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So this choir brought you a lot of really great things. So many. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, got married during COVID. And when we were trying to pare down our guest list from, gosh, our original list was like 250 because we both have huge families and we both have so many like amazing people in our lives that we wanted to be a part of it. We were paring it down and it was really, really difficult to cut people from this choir because they watched our relationship grow. Mm -hmm. They watched us come together. They watched us start out as really good friends weirdly in the corner, always playing weird board games that he would bring. (laughs) He was the board game kid and it was really weird, but they were fun. I told, see, he told me not to make fun of him and I totally am. You know, I don't think that you mentioned that this is your husband you're talking oh, about yeah. right now. This is the weird Gosh, board game he was, kid. He was the dorkiest. He had the long blonde hair that he just like wouldn't cut and he would bring a different board game every single month when we would like meet up for practice and they weren't like checkers. <laughs> like it was just weird board. Come to find out he and his dad collect them. So oh, like, that's, that's why he always had them. And now we have our own collection. It's very fun. But well, he like, doesn't have the long hair anymore. And no. you know, it's really not really dorky. And, you well, know. Uh, yes. Okay. But right. yeah. So there's there's the evolution of him. Right. Th- right. But also there's... at some point you realized, oh, like, oh, I like this kid. Right. Like <laughs> he would, I would go to my friends and be like, why does he always want to play board games with me? Like, why is he asking? And we were just really good friends. We would play cards and we were both dating somebody else in the choir. But like, we always just end up hanging out. And then the one day I texted him and I was like, hey, I have something to tell you. And he's like, what? I'm like, I like you. And he was like, cool. And then said nothing else. And then asked me for coffee. And it was the worst first date I've ever been on in my life. Really? It was horrible. It was awkward. It was horrible. We went to Starbucks. (laughs) We said, we talked about choir for about 30 minutes and then sat in silence for 20. And this is the best part because you know him. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah, is yeah. such this is such a him thing to do. He went, okay, cool. It's been silent for about a minute. He goes, okay, cool. Gets up and leaves. It <laughs> just leaves. Oh He's my like, okay, gosh. Bye. And then just left me there. And then he texted me later, and he was like, that was horrible. I'm like, yeah. Do you want to like actually go do something instead of sitting there? Because he's not a conversationalist. Huh. So you all. you gave you gave him another chance. I did, and now we're married. Full circle. You know what? I think it's good for people to hear those stories. You know, that the first date doesn't have to be (laughs) like fireworks and magic. Oh, my gosh. It was 
And I remember texting a mutual friend of ours um, from the choir and I would be like, apparently we need a board game to have a conversation because that was horrible. <laughs> so the next time we actually like went to a movie. Uh-huh. So we and then we went like we went and did something because he is he doesn't talk <laughs> like he's I'm the talker. <laughs> like, <laughs> So it works out well. It you like that. Well. But he's he must be a good listener. He is. He mm-hmm. is when he's listening. <laughs> sometimes i'll go have you been listening to me and he'll he'll he doesn't lie he'll be like no i really wasn't <laughs> so yeah. and so i mean he so he's in this choir and he yes. had um you know different experiences but but again kind of this mix of right good right. And, of, of good and so challenges and what i understand from his experience is he is a musician first mm-hmm. um so he and his brother have always been very music forward his brother is more of a vocalist than he is but he's more of an instrumentalist than his brother mm-hmm. and together they form this magic duo of perfect musicality whatever <laughs> and um so when he was in the choir, he would have a lot of solos because he was a he was a guy in a choir. He's very talented, yada, yada. But he was a guy in a choir who could sing. Mm-hmm. So he got a lot of solos. Um, and he would always, you know, play guitar with it. So there was that theatrical aspect of, look, I can sing and play at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he started transitioning into being a part of the band. So he would sing for some and then he would play. We had a live band that would travel with us. Okay. So he would also play in the band. I didn't get to do that because I have zero instrumental musical talent whatsoever. (laughs) I have none. Um, I played cello in high school and I left because I was really bad at music theory. Um, (laughs) But he has always found that part fascinating. So his experience was very different because he was almost respected as a musician. Mm. I always... Tell me more about what that means. Like when you say he was respected as a musician, and then when you you first said he's a musician first, I wanted to ask you as opposed to what? Um, So he started playing piano before he did anything else. Uh So I started with dance, then I transitioned into theater, then I transitioned into like vocals and singing. Got it. He started... Gosh, I don't even know when he started playing piano. Very young. Mm-hmm. He started with piano. He learned the music theory. Then he transitioned into other instruments. Then he went to college for music. Mm. Like, this is his life. So being in this choir, all of the counselors and all the adults were also band members. Everybody had multiple jobs. A lot of our counselors were also in the band. Mm. So he was not always looked at as a choir member as a kid, but he was looked at as a peer, Mm -hmm. like a hello fellow musician, Mm. because being a choir singer, you weren't a musician. I'm so glad we got to this point. I'm so glad we got really, can I say bullshit? (laughs) If you want to bullshit because singing is so hard (laughs) and like being in dance, like you get physically exhausted, but I've had vocal lessons where I am sweating at the end. (laughs) I am physically sweating and I just want to take a nap (laughs) like that's all I want to do and you know at this choir like I would sleep first every single night because I was so physically exhausted Mm -hmm. and I look at like professional singers like shout out to Katie Travis hi I really want to be friends with you I'm like your biggest fan and I know that you did an interview and I've listened to it three times anyways (laughs) (laughs) um please come speak at my studio thank you so much but But, like, I see professional singers like Katie Travis, and she does, like, all of these shows. Yep. And then a lot of people go out afterwards. Like, how do you do that? How do you have... How do do you do that? 
I just want to sleep. (laughs) And there's a difference between working hard in the right way, right? Because you describe, I mean, when, yes, you're working your body, but it is a um, immersive experience emotionally, mentally, all these things. That is different than I'm... I, I'm vocally so fatigued because you've been hurting yourself, right? right? So it was never, yeah. especially with the training that I've gotten recently, um, it's a lot of, okay, so now move your muscle in this way. So now try this. And it's just a lot to think about all at once. So then you mm-hmm. have that mental exhaustion, not in a bad way, just mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot of new information that I need to remember. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, I have never worked this muscle like this before. Mm. It's like telling someone who, you know, is, you know, an accountant and sits at a desk all day. Okay, I need to just drop into the splits right now. <laughs> like, it's just, it's really difficult to, like, get to that point. Yeah. Or, hey, you have six months to be able to do an oversplit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lot of progressive stretching that I didn't know how to do. And mm-hmm. so hearing... I never heard specifically from this choir that they didn't view the choir members as musicians. This is all just from a 14-year-old's perspective that I was. I just always felt like, you know, if you were a musician, Mm -hmm. not a singer, but if you were a musician, because those are different in Mm -hmm. this world of my 14-year-old brain, that you got way more respect than if you were just singing. Mm -hmm. And now hearing myself saying you're just singing makes me mad because there is no just singing. Mm -hmm. There is that word just always demeans whatever you say after it. And that's really annoying now looking back that that's exactly how I felt. I never said anything to anybody because you you did not speak unless spoken to kind of a mentality. But um, Eli's experience was very, very different. And now we have conversations about it and we look back on it going, that was probably not healthy. Like Mm. that environment was not good specifically the rehearsals Mm -hmm. and the performances outside of that we were a group of 50 best friends Mm -hmm. we would have our little dramas every once in a while but we were all just really good friends and we got to travel with each other and we got to go on fun we would go to the zoo and we would all go do stuff together and anytime you would put out on facebook hey i'm traveling to this city in michigan Mm. who lives there let's get coffee you know you would always meet up with somebody different and that's really really cool that you have friends from all over Mm -hmm. um um, we all got to go to Mackinac Island together. So we were all just really, really good friends. And then you would get to intensives and you would get to rehearsal and you would get to the tour and everyone got so stressed so quickly mm. because the counselors expected perfection, but didn't know how to get you there. Right there, right there. And that, you know, when you said this in the environment was unhealthy, right? It wasn't that the way that you were, um, you know, treated personally between like, like there, it sounds like everything was pretty darn good, ex- yes. except that it was first and foremost a choir. Yes. But the, but there wasn't the capability of teaching you um, how to sing. Right. Well, like in a band, right? You, you think about a band, um, you have to learn how to play your instrument, right? Mm-hmm. And, and with good technique and all these yes. things. And then you come together right. in a band, right? Mm-hmm. But then with singers, uh, they're, um, and this drives me nuts, right? Is, is that I, I always look at, there's like kind of three social classes of the music community, right? You've got orchestra, band, and choir. Mm-hmm. And I've always told my, um, when I was teaching in public music schools, I'd say, don't fool yourself, 
you know, you are at the bottom rung. Yes. And I'm not saying this to you to to make you feel bad. No, I'm it's saying not to that, confirm what 14-year-old no, me thought. No, it's no, just, I'm saying you you have to prove, though, yep. that singing is a skill and you have to get up, you have to work at it. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you have got to prove people wrong that you're not just born a singer. And, nope. you know, a lot of people think, oh, that she's a really good singer. She has a really good voice. Yep. That doesn't mean that she knows how to sing. She or he mm-hmm. knows how to sing well. My least favorite phrase of all time, and this goes for theater, singing, dance, acting, everything, is, wow, she has natural talent. No one has natural talent. They worked their butts off. And saying they have natural talent completely degrades every hour of training they have ever put in. Mm-hmm. I never tell my dancers, you have natural talent. I will say, you have a natural ability to pick up choreography. Mm. You have a natural ability to be bodily aware. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 13-year-old dancer. Gosh, she's 13 now. I have a 13-year-old. She has always She's been body aware since she was nine years old. And that is really hard to teach. If I say, okay, this muscle right here, I need you to flex that when you're doing this move. And she would do it. She's very body aware, but she has always had that. But I would never look at her and say, you have the natural ability to be a dancer. You are a naturally good dancer. That Mm -hmm. is not a thing. Mm -hmm. It isn't. And So it's in the language when you say talent. uh, And again, yeah, people look at singers and they think either, oh, I could never do that. You either have it or you don't. And and so that they... There's a lack of respect for the skill of singing. Um, And so you have to be working with someone who is training you, who understands it enough to know the skill that's involved. Yeah. So, so I want to switch gears with, with the time we, the time that we have left, because I want, you know, you shared with us the challenges, you know, and the things that were frustrating. um, And you've used the word, you know, toxic quite, quite a few times. And, um, and and unhealthy and those things you know i know that those carry a lot of weight like mm-hmm. the word toxic carries a lot of weight right and by that really i i don't want to put words in your mouth so you can tell me is there well you tell me what is a different way that you can rephrase the word um toxic mm-hmm. for people who maybe that word shuts people down right away yeah. like oh it's just a label that you put on what how did that affect you how did the things that should have been better mm-hmm. Um, why should they have been better? Yeah. Yeah. So within, um, that choir specifically that I was a part of, I was, we were split up into vocal groups as you do. And the basses and tenors were always together. And they had, um, one of our counselors, he is a musician. He is a teacher. Mm -hmm. He would be the one to instruct. So all of the guys had a very different, you know, experience because they got the help. They got the, now try this. Mm. Whereas, you know, we were working with other counselors who, yes, were very talented vocalists, but just because you can sing doesn't mean you can teach it. Mm-hmm. It's not a those who can't do teach type of a situation. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they are very talented. And, yes, they can help us with pitch. Mm-hmm. And they can say, oh, this note sounds funny. Let's fix it. They can't say, okay, here's how we can get you guys to blend. So that, like toxic environment I would kind of flip that and say it wasn't necessarily toxic as it was unhelpful Mm. and that being unhelpful as a young teenager and consistently needing more but not knowing how to express the fact that you need more out of what you're getting Mm. 
it puts the mentality, it, it just, it shuts you down. It makes you quiet. It's like, I don't really know how to express what I need. And I'm getting so frustrated because you keep telling me to do more, but not telling me how mm-hmm. it makes you feel like you are not good enough to be there mm-hmm. and you shouldn't be there mm-hmm. and you should not be in the realm that you are in. Mm-hmm. And that is, I keep saying the word toxic just because the word toxic to me is, is a festering negativity. Mm-hmm. It just keeps, it's steamrolling. It just keeps going and growing and growing into something extreme. And then eventually you're going to crash. Mm-hmm. And right after I left that choir, I didn't sing for two years because I was so defeated. Mm-hmm. And then you forced me to keep going. <laughs> and Eli did too. Um, but it's just, it's, that toxicity it's not oh my gosh it's toxic I don't even want to deal with it oh I'm just gonna go cry in my room no I love your drama face right thank now. you yes it's very good very good I'm an actress <laughs> that's what I do um but it's not it's it's just the idea that if you are toxic it will keep growing and growing and growing until you snap and that mm. snap is either going to do one of two things it is going to push you to become a professional and it's going to be like the flippy you the bird I'm gonna go do what I can because you're not helping me or it is going to completely derail derail you and it is going to screw up your confidence and cause you to never try again and this is where we come back this is that full circle moment right we're in the beginning you talked about how there's this core um, of anxiety for you right yes. and so I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because you didn't you didn't sing for two years right correct so um at some point though the the light bulb goes off or something happens and the switch is flipped yep and now we're moving in a in a good direction right so yeah. so so tell me what are the things that have been you you said unhelpful toxic is unhelpful toxic is you know it's it's negative yeah but but now that we're moving in a good direction um Tell me what have been the things that have been most helpful to you in the healing part of that journey yeah. and in you being able to move forward and progress. Yeah. So it really started, I was doing a show. I can't remember what show it was. Oh, it was 35 millimeter at Bay City Players. Um, so I went and auditioned for this show as a favor to a friend. I hadn't sung in a, in about two years. It was a musical and it was a very small cast. It was an ensemble cast. So if you were in the show, you were singing period. There wasn't singing parts and non-singing parts. Mm -hmm. And all of the singers in it were soloists. And I'm like, I don't do shows like this. I can't, I'm not going to do this one. It's all the way in Bay City, yada, yada. And he's like, just show up. Um, And he and I are still very, very good friends. He was actually directing it. And he was like, just show up. Even if you don't want to be in it, I want to, because he's a new director, I want to show people that people are showing up to my auditions. Mm-hmm. So just getting the body count is huge. Because then after day one, you can say, you know what? 45 people showed up to my audition. Are you going to be there tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And it, it almost increases your standing mm-hmm. in the theater mm-hmm. society. So I'm like, I will come be a body. Sure. So I did the audition. And then he called me and he was like, I have to put you in my show. You know that, right? And I'm like, I'm not doing it because it was for Act Fest. So this was also a competition show. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not going to Act Fest and singing on this. I don't do that. I'm, you know, too nasally. I'm this, I'm that. And he was like, if our friendship means anything, you will do this. And I'm like, how dare you say he that He pulled to me? the friendship I know. card. He did. He really, really did. Um, and so he cast me in the show and... 
you know, I was with a lot of, all of us were like really good friends anyway. So it was just kind of like hanging out with your friends and singing songs. And then I got very real very quickly <laughs> when we showed up to a competition and mm-hmm. we didn't win. We were all the youngest ones there. We were basically toddlers. Um, <laughs> we ended up getting an award that was like the future of Act Fest or something like that. Like <laughs> we felt like the kids table at Thanksgiving. Um, but that was kind of what got me back into it. And the music director was like, you know that you can like sing right I was like no thank you so much but no and he was like yeah and so he ended up giving me a uh, duet he didn't give me a solo thank god because I would have absolutely lost my mind I I probably would have quit the show if he would have given me a solo um so I had a duet and it went well and then you know slowly started getting back into it a little bit I uh trained with Matt Travis for a little bit Mm -hmm. um he was great he was when it started to finally get into because that musical it was they liked what I already do Mm -hmm. they liked what I had already and then I started with Matt and he would you know critique me on the little things that I didn't think mattered because Mm. I was brought up to think that didn't matter because I'm so nasally and how dare I sing anything but musical theater there was just this label there was, it a was label. everything I was, was under labeled. an umbrella there wasn't yeah. I was labeled as belty musical theater girl mm-hmm. and like that's who I was and for some reason in this choir being a theater kid was like a bad thing I don't know why that's a whole other story but training with Matt he would give me very specific things to work on and I thrive off of being nitpicked and that comes from ballet training I want the corrections Mm -hmm. I don't want you to tell me I'm doing it wrong I want you to tell me how to work harder so I don't do it wrong anymore Mm -hmm. I I I thrive off of criticism (laughs) and that's like that's it sounds so that sounds really negative but I want to be criticized so I can be better Mm -hmm. um I always tell my dance students that if I stop critiquing you that's when you you should be worried because that means that you're not taking my correction. So I don't want to waste my time. Mm-hmm. You as a performer, you want to be nitpicked. And I loved that Matt did that. Mm-hmm. He would always say, okay, now try it this way. Okay. Did you feel how that was different? Now do it again. And you know, I'm now singing at church more and I'm getting a little bit more of that. Okay. Now flip this, raise your tongue or whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You do. do. Well, you should give yourself some credit because, I mean, you, you, you do know. Yeah. I'm you t- know. Like I'm talking like there was a very specific like tongue thing <laughs> that I was told to do. <laughs> that sounds so wrong. Um, and then it just like all of a sudden, like like the ring happened, mm-hmm. like the vocal ring. Yeah. And it was like this moment of, oh, so this is what it's supposed to feel like. Oh, it's not supposed to be painful. Wow. Crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be in pain. The next day I could still talk. It was crazy. <laughs> it was insane. Tell me, um, you brought up Matt Travis. Mm-hmm. Tell me what was the the most helpful thing you learned from Matt Travis? And her oh eyes gosh. just went wide. Like, how am I going to pick one thing? But um, I only, and the funny thing is I only had like four lessons with him. And like, I think the world of that man. Um, honestly, I think it was... When actually we kind of had a similar situation, um, you and I did where he was telling me how to stand Mm -hmm. and as a dancer, we have a very, very center gravity. We have a very specific, we call it our core point. 
mm-hmm. where that is your center of balance. And you always want to center that on your stance. So standing with your feet next to each other with a one foot slightly in front as you're taught to stand in choir, that doesn't work for us <laughs> because we feel very tippy. <laughs> so I stand with one foot completely in front of the other mm. in a fourth position is what mm. it's called. Okay. And that's how I stand. That's when I feel the most centered. And he was like, why are you standing like that? I'm like, this is how I stand to be balanced. And so it was, and he went, oh, okay. He did not once say that's wrong. Mm. He said, okay, that works for you. He, he not once tried to change who I am as a person, or he did not try and change who I am as a singer. He wanted to take what I had and make it better. Mm. And I think that's when I started to figure out that like the difference between being in a choir and having vocal training mm. is he didn't try and go, you know what? That's incorrect. And you should do it this way. He went, okay, we can work with that. And then moved on. He just brushed over it. And sometimes brushing over it and not validating is more validating than validating. <laughs> like, oh, yep. Cool. Moving on. It was like, he didn't touch on that. He didn't say, you know what, who you are, that is good enough. He didn't do that whole that whole spiel. He just brushed over and kept going. And that was more validating than telling me, mm. you know what, who you are is enough. So not making it about <laughs> you. Oh my gosh. This is I oh, this stuff is so good because before it was all about your insecurity kind of went back to, you know, you're singing like a musical theater yeah, person. Yeah, it was all you, about you, me you. as a It person. was personal, right? And yeah. singing is so personal anyway because yeah. it is coming out of us. It's not something we take out of a box and put up to our face, you yeah. know, and it's an extent. I mean, it is, it's us, right? right. And so Matt, you know, um, he did not focus on you. Yep. He was like, again, goes back to the skill of singing, yes. right? This is, you know, this is good or this, we need to work on this or whatever, yeah. moving on. Not, not this no. thing about you not making it personal. Right. And that is so, and that's that so I've, good. And yes. now that I've been like singing more often, now I know it doesn't matter how you stand. You should be able to sing laying flat on your back. Like that's, that's what, how many people have to die in a show and are lying, you know, dying Um, on the stage. Anyone who's ever done Les Mis, you have to belt laying down dead. Like that's just the show. That's, that's the world. And so all of this, you know, you are doing it wrong. You are not good enough. I, you know, one half of my parental unit was also not super supportive of the arts in general. Um, So there was also that weighing on me that if I am not the best, Mm -hmm. if I don't get this solo, if I don't get this part, then it was all a waste of time. I did a show at the Center for the Arts and this parental unit showed up and it was Assassins. I was Mm -hmm. in Assassins at the Center for the Arts and there's um, a character who is a drunk Santa. And so after the show, (laughs) my parental unit came up to me and... They said, oh, yeah, Santa was funny. You need more vocal lessons and then left. And so I always have had this like you have to be the best person. And then being in this choir, it was like no one was helping me do that. Like you're either good enough or you're not not you're all you're on your way. It's black and white. It's not a spectrum. And I don't have a black and white way of thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, yeah, no, there it's all about progress, right? Mm -hmm. Or taking what you have. uh, And you said so many beautiful things about this, like taking what you have already and saying we can work with that. Yes. Right. Um, And then because then it's coming from a positive thing already. You know, I have a couple dancers who Um, So I have hip displacement and we're always um, very aware of past injuries because that can hinder a lot of things. So, you know, if a dancer says, you know what, I 
twisted my ankle this morning. It's not broken or anything. It's just sore. And I say, okay, we'll work with that just to make sure that you don't injure yourself further, but you are still learning Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) There's, there's just so, so much unnecessary and negative push instead of criticizing to make you better. Mm-hmm. And well, when we talk about labels and words and all that stuff too, right? Criticize comes off as a, Ooh, no, I don't want that. You know, like um, I, criticism is kind of one of those off putting words, unless you put constructive in front of it. Right. So We're constructive okay with it criticism We're is con- good. So I, I usually, at least in my dance studio, I use the word critique. Because it always, it sounds a little bit nicer. It's, it's fancy. It's fancier. It's French. <laughs> so it's better. Um, and then my senior competition team, actually one of them was like, can you just stop saying critique and just yell at us? And I said, okay. So switching gears with what the needs of your, uh, that, that open communication piece is important to letting your students know I want you to tell me if you're not getting what right. you need. If right. If you want more, you need to tell me. But if you want, if you need less that day, mm-hmm. you also need to tell me. Um, we have a wide range of ages, and I have a very specific memory. It was right around when COVID started happening. So we were still in class. We didn't have masks, mm-hmm. but it was starting to be talked about in schools about, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? Mm-hmm. So I had a group of second, third graders show up to ballet, and there were 15 of them. That was like one of my biggest classes. Um, and they all showed up and they were all just sitting there and they were fidgeting mm-hmm. and like one of them was like on the verge of tears and I like brought them again I'm like what is going on like they are usually the happiest bunch of girls mm-hmm. they just want to chit chat and they want to learn ballet and they want to put on the cute costume and they just want then they want to go home and they were all like more anxious than I have ever seen a group of kids and I was like what is going on and so one of them started crying and they started like telling me, and I'm like, do you want me to call your mom? And she's like, no, I don't want to talk to my mom. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. So we were all sitting there chatting about it. And when you're teaching for a long time, especially in dance, you get very personal mm-hmm. with everyone there because you are so, you know, in their face and you're correcting them. And, um, a lot of their self-awareness comes from you. And so you, there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of trust. Yeah. And so, these, this group of girls, they were just, they were having breakdowns and that's a lot of anxiety for that age. Mm-hmm. And so, and those days still happen. If they come in and they're super anxious, we do ballet yoga instead of having dance class. So they all sit on yoga mats and we do some stretching. We listen to some nice music, um, or I'll put on like a Disney movie and we'll just, we'll stretch mm-hmm. and we'll breathe and we'll focus on our breathing. And so we'll do that every once in a while if I notice that they are just off their rocker that day (laughs) we'll do that instead Mm -hmm. so I always tell like all of my students like if you're having a day just let me know because then I'm going to critique you less Mm -hmm. even if it's only one of like that was the entire group but even if only one of them comes up to me and says I'm having a day Mm -hmm. that's all they have to tell me Mm -hmm. they don't have to go into specifics unless they want to because I have open office hours so they can come tell me if they want but if they come up to me and say I'm having a day I will critique them way less mm-hmm. or in a nicer way mm-hmm. and then I have three or four of them that come up to me every single day and they're like kick my butt mm. and I'll say okay and then I I just yell at them and they thrive off of that like ag- I don't want to call it aggression but they thrive off of that intensity mm-hmm. and I was always one of those people like I want to the louder you get the more serious I will take you mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then some kids like the repetition they want to be reminded a few times mm. and if they come up to me and say, I'm having a day, I back off. Just like any healthy relationship, right? You come home to your husband and you say, you know, 
today is a day I need this. Yep. Today. And you got to have that if mm-hmm. you're going to have, you know, that um, yeah. a healthy relationship and have that trust. So it's tricky with Eli and I just because <laughs> we um we we work in the same house. We have our offices. Mm-hmm. And so we'll be working all day. And then he's he's like a very like huggy person. Like he just like likes hugs and like snuggles. And like he'll walk into the office and I'll be like, not today. <laughs> and then He'll leave me. I'm like, I just need alone time. He's like, you've been alone in your office all day. I'm like, yeah, but I've been working. I just want to watch RuPaul's Drag Race and eat chips by myself. <laughs> That's all I want to do right now. <laughs> Sorry. I'll pay attention to you later. <laughs> and then he goes and plays video games or something. But um, that like open communication, I feel like would really benefit a lot of both vocal teachers, choir directors, dance teachers, performing arts professionals in general. Mm-hmm. If you open that door you will not only understand them as a performer a little bit better, Mm -hmm. but you will also allow them to trust you, Mm -hmm. which will in turn bring out a little bit more of their talent. Mm -hmm. Because with performing arts, it's so personal. Like you are putting yourself out there every single day. And the fact that some people don't believe that arts education is valuable baffles me Mm -hmm. because you get so much of your confidence. You get public speaking, self-confidence, and body awareness all in one go. Mm -hmm. And it's very beneficial for a lot of kids. So having that open door between the professionals who are instructing it and the students who are taking it will not only, you know, make them feel better about themselves, but will have them perform for you better, which in turn makes you look better as a professional anyways. Mm Mm-hmm. Natalie, I'm so excited that you did this. <laughs> this has been fun. And I know we could go on for hours. I mean, we just, there's so many things. Uh, so yeah. I will have to have you back. Um, I do want to make sure that um, I ask you, you know, is there a question you wish I had asked you? Or is there anything else you want to say that you did not get a chance to say? Not really. No, I think that was like, that was a good coverage of of important subjects like you just went right with the I don't want to call it the the dark and the nitty-gritty but we really just went right for the be nice to kids <laughs> area we just like we went right for it as my husband says don't hurt the children don't hurt the children oh my gosh gosh I <laughs> we have beginner point students this year and I was so upfront in the beginning I'm like point hurts the first six months and like their feet are sore and they get blisters and I feel so bad for them that mm. they signed up for it but like like don't don't hurt the kids like I I don't understand why so many people don't teach children if you don't like children <laughs> why why are why are you a teacher if you don't like kids like I d- <laughs> she's just it. like nope nope i'm like i watch um like dance moms like the show dance moms yeah why do you teach kids mm-hmm. why do you do it <laughs> to make money you, good luck you're in the performing arts okay <laughs> you're not gonna make a ton of money <laughs> you're doing it because you love to do it yeah oh yeah i don't even make minimum wage at my studio right now <laughs> because of covid because we want to keep the doors open for the kids yeah if you don't like kids don't teach kids Mm -hmm. because there are so many other professions you can do within the performing arts that doesn't involve the minds of children. Mm -hmm. Go, you know, work with an adult choir, Mm -hmm. have a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. I am proof of that. Although I will say, you know, having a husband who's a DJ um, and having equipment, that's, yeah, it's very useful. Honestly Um, though, with the person I'm married to, I could totally do a podcast. He's got all the equipment. You should. No. You think about what you're I don't have any more spare time. (laughs) 
That's I right. You're giving time. it. Well, you give it away. You know, give a lot of it away. Yeah, um, my free time is Monday mornings, and here I am. <laughs> there you go. And well, and I'm so glad that you. I'm I'm so glad that you took the time to join me. And again, I would love to have you back and talk more about this, especially post you know post COVID someday when it happens because it will someday. Um, yep. And the other thing, the last thing I want to mention too um, is about if you, as an expert, right, and and the first line of defense, mm-hmm. if there's something that you don't know. You know, you first off, you you want to be aware of what you don't know, yes. right? So, and it's so hard because we, I think, we do get so tunnel visioned sometimes, mm-hmm. and so used to the way we do things. Mm-hmm. But having that open door communication with your yes. students allows you to check yourself. It's that right. check and balance system. If your student says you know what, this isn't working for me. It, it puts it back on you to say, what can I do? Right. right. I, okay. Well, then maybe I don't know as much about this, right? Mm-hmm. My approach that I've always used isn't working with this student. And yep. so we as experts have to know what we don't know, or have to at least try to want to know right. because it's not about us being right. No, right. It's you a, are never done learning Yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, and I am one of the younger people in my field and I see a lot of tunnel vision adults who learned a way, so they're going to teach that way. And the world is forever evolving. It goes back to dance competitions and the costume situation and the dancing situation with the over-sexualizing of movements. That is definitely the way things have been in the past, but it is not that way anymore. Hmm. And people need to learn that it's okay to change your policy. It's And if people question it, say, because I learned. It's not a negative thing to change your perspective. People think, oh, they changed your mind. Like, oh, you must not have been strong in your opinions before. No, I just learned. Mm-hmm. Like, sit down and learn. <laughs> um, having an open door with students to come to you with, like, their emotions. It could be the, I lost my pet rock to my parents are getting divorced. Like, there's a huge spectrum of what makes kids upset. And you need to not only be aware when they come to you, but be aware extra aware when they don't because those are the kids that you can check in yourself and then they also feel loved because you're the one checking in with them Hmm. that open door of communication will make everyone's lives better and the parents will also appreciate you so when they come to me with things you know there is there's no confidentiality anything I always let the parents know hey they came to me with this just mm-hmm. so you know, that way they're not caught off guard later. Mm-hmm. And so parents really appreciate that open communication as well. And overall, you will become more popular in your field with the more people who like you. If you're just, you know, if you learn, open a book, look <laughs> online, read an article. Listen to a podcast. Listen to a podcast. Take a course. Take mm-hmm. a class. Um, my teachers, all the staff at my dance studio, we take child protective classes every year to know the signs of abuse because we're so close with them. Mm-hmm. So if there are so many things that you can do for the well-being and safety of kids, if that's your prerogative, if you don't want to learn, you are not in the right career. You should always want to do your best to ensure their safety. And if you don't want to do that, you are in the wrong field (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you don't have their well-being in mind do something else do anything else (laughs) (laughs) don't you should always want to be up to date with everything we read the cdc's covid policies three times a week just to make sure that we are in line that is yeah we we are on so many different newsletters to so many different child protective services Mm mm-hmm we always want to make sure that we are doing everything we can. We update our, you know, 
unfortunately, our active shooter and aggressive adult policies. Mm -hmm. We update those every two months just to make sure that we are doing everything we possibly can to make sure nothing happens to them on our watch Mm -hmm. or in anybody's watch in general. Mm -hmm. Um, With performing arts, you know, theater, singing, dance, you are so up close and personal with these kids that once you get to know them, you can tell when something is off. Mm -hmm. You can tell when they're extra tired. You can tell when... You know, they probably didn't eat today. Mm-hmm. You can always tell. Mm-hmm. Always. You just have to keep an open mind about it. Don't get tunnel vision to, okay, I'm just going to teach this class and then they leave and I'm going to get my paycheck. Mm-hmm. Always think about them first. The second they walk in the door, look them over and see what what how they're doing that day. Mm. Every single time. Every single class. Every single day. Thank you, Natalie. Be nice to kids. <laughs> Don't hurt the children. Don't hurt the children. Don't hurt the children, or one day they're going to hurt you. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just that got a, really dark. It did. We'll edit it but out. It's fine. Or we'll just make true. your voice sound really, like, ominous and, you know. With a little you, echo behind yeah. it. Thank you so much, Natalie. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. This was fun. <laughs> Good. This Good a party. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Sing, Coach, Conduct. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can contact Megan Ferrison on Facebook or Instagram or by emailing thesingingconductor at gmail.com.